0: What, uh, what a pleasure it is to be at uh, Southland tonight. Uh, your ministry has been uh, such a blessing to our church. I, I am, am looking to Jesus, giving all in the race, pressing upwards to gain the heavenly prize. Faithful men are my witness who have trust. Watch from the grass and in the sky. Faithful men. You One of, our, one of our faithful men was just walking through the park, and, and he saw a lady that was um, alone and a little bit distressed, and he, and he spoke to her and invited her to church, and there was a person that needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, she came to church, and we had the privilege to lead her to the Lord, and uh, just uh, another soul that uh, was saved, and that, uh, that's just a, a wonderful thing. And that's what we're here to do, folks, is to do, uh, go about the Father's business, amen? Uh, but... Um, yeah, so 18 years. So, my excuse me if I uh, I'm a bit tired tonight. It's been a, a you know conference. It's a long it's a long uh, uh, it's a long weekend. But uh, I'm, I appreciate that I get a chance to preach tonight. mean, I, I usually don't, and uh, and conference sort of winds you up, and there's no outlet. So I'm glad that I got the chance to preach tonight. And uh, thank you so much uh, for inviting me. I love your pastor. Uh, he's a, he's a great man. He he him personally. Has been a great encouragement to me. Uh, he, he's walked the road that I'm walking before me, and uh, there's a lot that I've learned from him. And uh, please keep praying for your pastor. Amen. There's um, uh, you don't realise how um, uh, how hard it is uh, to get a good man of God until you don't have one, um, and uh, uh, we have a dearth in our country from uh, men that uh, good men that are out there willing to to pastor God's flock. And uh, folks, the, the field is truly wide unto harvest in the mission field, and we need uh, more men of God to, to go out there and to, and to pastor churches and to uh, do the work of God. So, so keep, keep him in your prayers. I love him to bits. Uh, like um, uh, I think his brother Dice says, I love the stuffing out of him. He's always been a blessing to me. And, uh, and again, I just appreciate the opportunity to come and to open the Word of God. All right, why don't we go ahead and get our Bibles out? I want to share with you. Uh, from the scriptures this morning you didn't come here to to um to hear from 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 me i pray that you came to to hear from uh, the word of god so let's go ahead and turn in our bibles to the book of second samuel and i love at church when uh, the lord gets involved in the planning of a service uh that song uh, faithful man is is a wonderful song and it's a, a uh, just a, a great encouragement we sing it at church and it goes Absolutely wonderful with the message that I want to uh, share with you tonight. So I love it when the Holy Spirit is all over a service. He knew what the message was going to be and he knew the songs that needed to be sung, amen? And uh, it's just a, it's just a, a privilege. Uh, so go ahead and turn to Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to have a look at a couple of different things tonight. Second Samuel chapter 11 and Second Samuel chapter 12. Uh, but uh, we're going to be looking a little bit at the life of David. And uh, over the last uh, year and a half, I've uh, I've, I've, I've had a vision, God has given me a a heart's desire to to lead God's people uh, at at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I've I've come to realise that that my primary goal in the life of our church and in the life of our people is that, uh, like you guys, that it is to glorify uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, foremost and uh, primarily, and, and I believe, church, that is the single most important job of any Christian, that is to bring glory to God. Now, we do that through many different avenues in the church, um, through, through, through many different types of ministries, we bring glory to God. And, and uh, one of the, the, the main avenues that we glorify our Saviour is through our own personal spiritual growth. Uh, very important. Very important. And, and church you know that God wants us to grow. Right from the beginning when we called on the Lord for salvation, God said to us, he said, "Start growing." In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, the word says, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby." And throughout our life God wants his children to grow. He doesn't want us to remain uh, the same. He doesn't want us to, to be stagnant in our Christian life. Or, and definitely, folks, he doesn't want us to go backwards. He wants us to grow and to go forward. Ephesians 4 tells us, uh, verse 14 and 15, that ye henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in. All things, the scripture says, which is the head, even Christ. So Jesus wants you, Jesus wants me, Jesus wants us to grow. Now I want to ask you a question tonight, a serious question. How have you gone this year? How was your growth this year? Have you come along in your Christian life even since the beginning of uh, of this year? Has there been growth? Sometimes people say, well, preacher, you know what? I haven't slid in back. I haven't gone forward, but I haven't gone backwards. You know, I'm just sort of uh, plodding along in my Christian life. And I want to encourage you, church, you know that God hates lukewarmness. God hates a mediocre, plodding along type Christianity, folks. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. Can I tell you, church, I've... um, I'm preach, I'll, I'll preach this to me and, and, and I'll preach it to you, but I tell you, your church is always an encouragement to me. Um, you can't be away from Southland too long because things change. Like these things weren't here last time I came. <laughs> One day you're going to come in and the pulpit's going to be over there. God doesn't want us to stand still. God wants us to grow. He tells the church in Laodicea, which some say this is a, represent, a representation of Christianity today. He says in Revelation 3, uh, that I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were uh, that thou cold or hot. So because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I said I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Can I encourage you, church? God wants you hot. God wants you hot. He wants you on fire for Him. He wants you on fire for Him because, church, can I tell you, my friends, that produces growth. In, the life, in your Christian life, in the life of your church. The best, the thickest, the most luscious growth happens often after the heat is on, amen? After the fire comes. Did you ever see what happens after a bushfire in Australia? It goes ballistic, the bush. In fact, there is some vegetation, a native vegetation, that won't reproduce without a bushfire. It needs the heat. It needs a fire there in order for it to grow, and I reckon that sometimes God puts his children through fire because he desires to stir up something in our life. He desires for us to, to, to grow a little bit, to move from where we are. And one way he does that is he puts, puts us through the fire, through trials and tribulations. We have all gone through stuff, amen? But you know, do you know how... Um, how Another way that he gets you to grow, what God does, he'll, 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 he'll grab his finger and you'll put his finger on sin in your life and he'll just squeeze. And he'll squeeze and he'll squeeze and, he, and he'll squeeze. The Bible says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But sometimes, church, can I tell you, it's good for us. What God tries to do, he tries to, He's trying to refine you. He's trying to cleanse you so that we can learn and grow and be useful to God. Amen? God doesn't want to use mud and dirty vessels for His glory. And what God does at, at this point is sometimes he, he, he puts us through the fire in order to purge that we may grow thereby. 1 Timothy 2.21 says, a man, If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet, that word meet, which means appropriate, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You guys need to be prepared. You guys are doing a whole bunch of good work. Amen? And when God comes and God puts his finger on our lives, and, and the key lies, church, is how do we respond to, When God squeezes us a little bit. How do we respond when God buzzes up and says, as we're going to have a look in a moment, He says to you, thou art the man. And I want to share with you an example tonight of a godly response to the Lord after He points out sin in this man's life and He has a right response and He grows through that. And you know, if we have the right response, me and you, we will also grow in leap and bounds when we respond correctly to the squeezing of God in our life. Having a bad response, church, will destroy your Christian life. See, the whole idea of the Lord, the whole idea of this spiritual growth is God wants to take you from where you are and God wants to bring you over here to where God wants you to be. That's Christian growth. That's what He wants from your church. That is what what He wants from you. He wants to see growth. And and, and the awesome thing that I love about God is that we're here and God wants us over there so we we, we do grow. But you know that the second we arrive here, He says, okay, now I want you there. And when you get there, the Christian life is about constant, perpetual growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He wants from us. That's the whole point. He wants you to grow. And He'll do things in your life to encourage you to grow. And the story we're going to have a look at tonight, you guys are familiar with the story of David and the, the David's sin involving Bathsheba. It resulted in adultery, it resulted in murder, and I believe it was one of the worst times in David's life. These were dark pages in, in his record, but I believe, church, they were preserved that you and I, that we may learn something, Amen. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. It says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition. So if we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to have a look. Folks, look, we know how David got himself into trouble. We understand uh, how that happened. But just for revision sake, we'll quickly turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. And uh, why don't we just pray before we get into the, the scriptures? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, tonight for the word of God. Father, I pray that you would minister to these, my brethren. Lord, would you minister to the heart, encourage them, uh, speak to them, and would you bless them, Father God? Pray that you would use me to be a blessing to them and that uh, your, your spirit would move and accomplish your will tonight. We thank you, Lord. We, we submit to the word of God and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse, verse 1. I follow along in the scriptures there. It says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, the Bible says. And look at what the Bible says next. That David, what's the next two words? Sent Joab. And his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Folks, David was in Jerusalem. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. David wasn't where God wanted him to be. David was here and God wanted him over there. Verse number two. And he came to pass in the evening time that David rose from of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So not only was David not where he was supposed to be, he was now found where he was not. Supposed to be, and can I tell you, church? No one will ever convince me that David didn't know exactly what he was going to see from his rooftop. He had been up there many times. He knew exactly what he was up there, uh, what what he was going to see. Folks, it was like it's like going to the beach and then complaining to the Lord about all the immodesty, right? He knew exactly what he was doing. Verse number three, and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, "Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife?" of Uriah the Hittite. So he's getting some advice already. You know, David saw, uh, David lusted, and now he's inquiring about her. And can I tell you, church, sin in your life will build upon itself until it has consumed you. You know, David could have said in in my own mind, he said, you know, I'm not where God wants me to be, sin number one. I'm where God Uh, does not want me to be, sin number two. You know, I lusted after this woman and I committed adultery, that's sin number three. And he could have said, oh, you know what, she's married. What he could have said was, you know what, I'll beg God's forgiveness and I'm going to leave it here, get forgiveness of God and then we'll leave it at that. But no, folks, you know what sin did in his life? Sin took him further than he wanted to go. And can I encourage you, church, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will make you stay there longer than you're willing to stay and it's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Every single time. Verse number four, and David sent messages. Look what he says, and took her. Folks, all he did was just went through with a scene that had already happened in his heart. Remember uh, Matthew 5, 28 says, But I say unto you that whoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The actions are never far away from the thoughts, church. The verse 4 continues, And then she came in unto him, and he lay with her, and, and, uh, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto uh, her house, And verse number five, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And we know how the story goes. That David, after trying to cover up uh, his sin and and, and her sin too, folks, let's not remember that Bathsheba wasn't without guilt in all this. You know, she could have said, uh, even on the pain of death, I will not commit adultery to my husband. I am going to refuse the king regardless of what happens to me. So David goes ahead and orchestrates the death of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And he can't do that. And if you know the story, he tries, he he schemes and does all sorts of things to try and cover up that she was carrying his child. And so finally he sends a letter to Joab by the very hand of the man that he wants to kill and tells Joab, put him in the hottest part of the battle where he's going to die and Uriah dies see folks what David was trying to do David was trying to make everything seem okay with the people that were around him he was trying to justify things so that people around him wouldn't look on and have a worse opinion of the king but can I I ask you something does not God uh, see everything he knows the very intents and thoughts of our hearts we will never ever fool God folks you know, we we may pull one over our family. We may pull one over our friends. We we may pull one over our brethren, even our pastor. But can I tell you, we will never ever pull one over our God, ever. So here we go to second. We pick up the story here in Second Samuel chapter twelve. Let's turn over. Second Samuel chapter twelve and verse one. And we pick up the story here. And the Lord uh, sent uh, uh, Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. So God is going to use his prophet, Nathan, to put his finger on David's sin. He's going to use Nathan to, to squeeze the king a little bit. To what end, church? Well, he wants David to grow. He wants David to mature. Uh, He wants a sweet psalmist of Israel to be Christ-like. God wants to bring David from where he's at to where God wants him. Verse number two, and he goes on. It says, "The uh, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. So who's the rich man? We're talking about David. Verse number three, but the poor man had nothing. In this illustration, the poor man is Uriah. Uh, it says, uh, save one little ewe lamb which he had bought uh, and nourished up and he grew up together with him and with his children and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Folks, that's one special rack of cutlets, amen. That was pretty, pretty special to, to, to Uriah, what he had. No, verse number four. And there came a traveller unto the rich man and spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. And he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And look at verse number five. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Can I ask you, does David know what's going on at this point? He hasn't got a clue, amen? He doesn't know. And can I encourage you, church, we need to examine our own lives before we practice some righteous indignation against our brethren. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely, what's the next word? Die. Out of his own mouth comes the judgment of God. Verse number six. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And verse number seven, here, here we go. And Nathan said to David, what's the next four words? Thou... Art the man. You're the one that I'm talking about. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and I gave thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee uh, the house of Israel and, the, and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such thing, uh, Sorry, such and such things. And that's often the problem today, church. It is never enough. Verse number 9. Wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Verse number 10. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Look at this. Because thou hast despised who? Me, that's God speaking. And it's taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. And I love, it. if you go through um, in, uh, in Samuel and in Kings, you know, often, often, often when God refers to Bathsheba, He doesn't refer to her as Bathsheba. He honors Uriah and refers to her as the wife of Uriah. Before God, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more of that in a second, uh, uh, God honors Uriah, Amen. I want to encourage you, know when we sin, we show God that we despise him. That's what the Bible says. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbour, and he shall uh, lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Verse 12, for thou didst it Secretly, And that's the way sin is usually carried out in secret. And he says, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. God is saying, your judgment, David, won't come in some dark corner where no one is going to know about it. It's going to be out in the open sunlight for everybody to acknowledge. And here's the crux of the message. What is David's response, church? How, how would you react? How do we react to the chastening of the Lord? What is our, uh, our demeanor? How do we come to God when God squeezes us, when God puts his thumb on our lives, he puts his, his hand on, on our sin? How do we react? Do we cringe? Well, people may find out about us. Verse number 13, look at this. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. I mean, amen, I under the law, that's what they both deserved. Amen. Verse 14, How be it because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Can I tell you that is, a, that is one of the most putrid things about sin in our lives? That uh, we may deal with it, but you know what he does? It gives the unbeliever occasion to point his finger at God. And that is the worst thing about, see, not that we transgress, but that the unbeliever says, that's your God. The devil goes, that's your child. We have to think about these things, church, when we're in the midst of these things. Verse 14, the judgment comes, the child child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Verse 15, and Nathan departed unto his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David and it was very sick. And we know the story ends that the child passes away. So my challenge tonight that I want to encourage you in church is what can we learn especially from David's response? There's something that we can pick up in our lives that will encourage you to grow. God wants to take you from where you are and put you where he wants you to be. And we need to pick up some things that happened to David. The first one is this. We are often blind to our own faults. You know, David could easily see the sin in the rich man of Nathan's story, but he could not see it in himself, and he took a direct accusation of, thou art the man by Nathan for him to see it. And can I ask you, Church, does he take God to directly point out our sin in a very specific and direct way in the midst of our life in order for us to see it? Does God have to come and say, thou art the man? Can I tell you, in our case, in my case, that is often true. We can easily see the mote in another person's eye, but, but do not see the beam in our own eye. Matthew 7.3 says, and why be, The Lord Jesus Christ said, Why beholdest thou the moat? The moat is a, a tiny bit of straw or of chaff that they used to throw up in the air to separate the grain. He says, uh, ha, Why beholdest thou the moat uh, uh, that is in thy brother's eye, but consider it's not the beam that is in thine own eye? And there are several reasons why we don't um, acknowledge our own faults. Sometimes what we do is we let... Uh, strong desires confuse the plain distinction between right and wrong. Do you notice how this world is getting worse and worse in knowing what is right and what is wrong? How often, the Bible says, uh, 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 the world calls good evil and evil good. Folks, we're not immune to that. The church is not immune to that. Just like, lot, we spend enough time in this world, it's going to affect us. Sometimes we want our pound of flesh. Sometimes uh, the flesh is strong. We've been walking in the flesh and we want what we want. And often our lack of discernment prevents us from seeing what we truly are, the man. Have you ever done that? Have you ever judged someone for an action or an attitude and then found yourself doing the same exact same thing? And God says, by the Spirit of God says, Thou art the man. Sometimes we find ourselves changing our convictions and our standards on on, on a position on something when it it hits close to home. We flirt habitually with, with, uh, with evil, diminishing. It diminishes our sense of something being wrong. Remember, like I just said, just like Lot. He vexed, the Bible says, his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. How's our life? Maybe, maybe things like accepting the world's definition of immodesty. Is that a right to say? In regards to dress. See, folks, it's easy to judge righteously when it's others that people are looking at. But how about when it's one of our own family? Where's the standard go there? Sometimes we just plain out refuse to apply principles of Scripture to, uh, to the moral nature of the way we want to behave. Do we struggle, folks, with, ever, uh, with even knowing if certain habits and certain behaviours are consistent with a Christian life? And by not knowing, what we do is we behave in a way more becoming a person of the world than one that, who claims the name of God. Did David beha- behave like a man after God's own heart? Not at all. But did David behave-, behave like the sweet psalmist of Israel? No. David wasn't where God wanted him. He was found where he wasn't supposed to be and he was found doing the things he shouldn't have been doing. And, folks, and I tell you, he didn't even realise one iota that he- what was going on. He was in complete Ignorance. So the question is: Did God find him guilty? Absolutely, folks. Ignorance is no excuse before the Lord. And because I am, and we are often blind to our own faults, we need to be thankful for friends like Nathan that come and say to him, "Hey, what are you doing? What what are you thinking?" Why are you even going there? We'd have to be thankful for our friends to come and say, thou art the man. They care enough to bring our faults to our attention, courageous enough to challenge our conduct. The, the, the question is, church, can we take it? Do we respond well? Or do we easily become offended? I was... Um, I had a bit of a, of a baptism of fire into the ministry. Uh, I, wasn't, I was pastor not for two months. And there was a serious family issue in our church. And I had to pull someone up because uh, they really weren't behaving like a, like a Christian. And uh, they got pretty upset. Basically, I was told, look, I'll do what I want. I'll do what I need to do. Thank you very much. Okay, that's fine. See, Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know why Christians often get offended? Because we're not where, we are, where we're supposed to be spiritually There's no love of God's word. We're not here. We're stuck there. And what happens is when we're stuck there, we become offended. Can I encourage you, church? We need to be like David. We need to be open to the constructive criticism from others and not so blind as to fail to see our own faults when pointed out by others. Amen? Hopefully they are wanting to help us and to love on us. And usually those that bring up um, things in their lives do so because they love you. They don't uh, want you to see hurting your relationship with your God. Now Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. I love the way Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes 7.5. He says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Be careful, church, of those that all they do is fluff you up. You need someone to come and say, where were you tonight? Where were you? I needed you here. That's showing love, church. The other thing that's good that being at the end of thou art the man, it is, uh, it's, it's God's way to bring about repentance, to bring about the changed heart uh, in, in his people. See, uh, being pointed out, it appeals to God's love. Nathan reminded David of God's great kindness to him, that he didn't deserve. Look, go, go back to 2 Samuel 12. We're doing all right tonight? I got that one from Pastor Fisher. We're okay? Look what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and I gave thee thy master's wife unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover uh, have given unto thee such and such things. This appeal, church, was based on God's love and mercy for, for David. And can I tell you it's found all over the New Testament for us? Paul made it in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. How can I do this wickedness? When God has been so good to me. That's something we need to think about. I love Joseph's example. A man in a foreign land being tempted uh, by a, a wicked woman to do wickedness before the Lord and his defense was, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what leads you to change your mind about your sin? The goodness of God. And can I tell you, church, we need reminding often. Peter reminded them in Acts chapter 10, verses 33 to 34. Uh, sorry, 34 to 30, uh, 43. Can I encourage you, next time someone points something out to you, let's be remindful of how good God is to us. Amen? How, God, how good God has been to us. See, the best way to bring about repentance is what, what Nathan did, reveal. The sin God wants to reveal it to us. Nathan was very clear in telling David what he did wrong. Second Samuel 12:9. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord. Look at it there with me. He says to do evil in what? In His sight. There's no hiding sin from God. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Folks, you know what? People will not. Uh, change their mind about sin people won't uh, repent unless they realize they have sinned against the holy god it is necessary to understand that sin is against god and can i tell you someone's going to do that in your life or if you are going to do that in someone's life make sure you do that with a godly attitude make sure that we do it in humility and meekness if we can't do it with that heart just leave it alone we'll make it worse There's no need to put others' sin on Facebook or to email everybody. That just gives occasion to blaspheme the name of the Lord. Reveal it. God reveals it to us. Warn them of the consequence. God will tell you what the consequence. He's told us in His Word. Nathan spelled out to what would happen to David because of this thing in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verses 10 to 12, he, he goes through and tells him uh, the, 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 the woeful condition of what his life was going to be like. He was going to show it to everybody. I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. You say, Pastor, how do I know what the, what the consequences of sin will be? Folks, it is right here in this book. There is nothing new under the sun, amen? The Bible contains, I love it, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the, of the gospel. But it, the Bible is no different than the prophet Nathan. It tells us how to live and the consequences of not obeying God. Do we even look for that? In Romans 2, I just read out for you uh, verse 4, it says, "...or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance." But look at verse number 5, He says, "...but after thy hardness and impenitent heart... Treasure up, uh, treasurest up unto thyself, wrath against the day of uh, of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse number six: Who will render to every man according to his deeds. One day we will give an account, Church, you and me and all those that uh, proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it with the gospel, don't we? Brother EJ, you went to uh, the Philippines and you were trying to to reach souls over there, amen? And there were 20 people saved. I bet you by the time those folks called on the Lord, they knew exactly what the consequences would be if they didn't. You know what, church? If you love someone, you need to let them know what the consequences of bad decisions will be. There's no time for Christianity, for people that know the Lord to be... Uh, pussyfooting around issues. If you love someone, tell them, hey, this is going to wreck your life. This is going to be bad for you, but I love you. I don't want to see you wreck your relationship with the Lord. Love them. David provides the proper attitude to this thing. I, lo- I love what David says. See, David made it personal. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, go back there. He says, I have what? I, he says, I have sinned. You know, David didn't try and put the blame on Bathsheba. And like we said, she had her, her, her own thing to deal with. You know, David didn't try and blame it on a circumstance. Oh, you know what? Uh, it's not my fault. You know, why would you build a castle and, and put the rooftop in line with someone's window? That's, that's just bad design. It wasn't my fault. You know, what was wrong with Bathsheba? You know, she couldn't buy some Venetians. Go a half price shutters there, get something to cover up the, the bath. He didn't blame the circumstance. He didn't blame Joab, the one who actually carried out his instructions. Hey, you know what, church? You know, he could have said, uh, you know what, um, Joab didn't have to listen to me. He didn't have to obey. He took ownership of his sin. He accepted the full responsibility of his own sin. And we need to learn to do that as well, church. And whoever turned on the air conditioner, I love you to bits, amen. David saw the true nature of his guilt and his guilt and he was against the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Look, it is true. I'm not saying, church, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that he didn't sin against Bathsheba. I'm not saying um, that he didn't sin against other people. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his own wife, etc. But sin ultimately is against the Lord. And you know what, church? True repentance in the heart of the Christian comes from an understanding that sin is a lot more than just a violation of a human relationship. It is a transgression against the one the one true God, God Almighty, who designed those human relationships. It is an affront against God who created us in His image. Did you ever notice how David puts it in Psalm 51? I'll read it to you for time's sake. Psalm 51 verse 3 and 4. He's there. He's pouring his heart out against. uh, He's pouring his heart out to the Lord, confessing his sin. And he says in verse number three, "For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest." You know what David's saying? I deserve what I get. You know, Lord, you know everything. You're going to be clear when you judge. And often church is going to tell you our repentance falls short because we acknowledge that we did something that God doesn't like, but we often fail to see that it's against God. The proper attitude to all sin is, I have sinned against God. I wonder. I wonder if every time we make a stupid, and I've made plenty in my life, right? If we, when we go, we're about to make a stupid decision if we realise that what we're doing, if it's against God, if we would go through with it. If David sat there and said, you know what, I want to commit adultery, but this woman is married to God, would he have done it? You'd have to be pretty, pretty thick in the head to, to do that to God, amen? How about when, when um, uh, something like thieving, like stealing, whatever that may be, downloading from the... Whatever it is. If you said... If people said, "Um, this thing belongs to God. I'm going to take it from Him. Would we do it? See, the problem is that there's no no connection sometimes between sin and the fact that we're doing it against God. Anything that is sin is like doing it directly to God. We need to think about that. You know, know, young people, when... um, When we disrespect mum and dad, and I did that plenty in my life, I was saved when I was 28. I was a real rat pack. Think about this. Would you speak to the Lord Jesus Christ like that? Oh, it's not sin because uh, it's only to my folks. Really? That's what sin is. It's when you disrespect your parents... When you go off Adam, it's like you're saying it to the Lord Jesus Christ in his face. That's what it's like. That's what all sin is like. But I want to encourage you one more thing is that the pardon provided by God if we have the right attitude when it gets pointed out by God. See David's forgiveness was immediate and I love that. look at second Samuel 12, uh, verse uh, 13, uh, chapter 12 verse 13. I'm, I'm not long. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Folks, it wasn't just something that David said. This thing was a condition of his heart. He understood what the issue was and he came to the Lord repentant and the Lord knew it. And forgiveness was instant. But we have to come to the Lord that way. God is not someone in heaven with a big stick that's looking at punishing you all the time. His forgiveness was based in that God's proper condition for immediate forgiveness was met. And you say, preacher, what condition? Oh, there's a condition to get God's forgiveness, church. In his case, in David's case, a confession of his sin and a desire to be forgiven was evident. Nathan said, the Lord has also put away your sin. That phrase, put away, similar to other terms suggesting, a complete forgiveness of sin, a, a covered, the sin was blotted out, remembered no more. Can I encourage you, church? God's forgiveness is exactly the same today for you. It is both immediate and it is both complete. But there is a condition. Have a look at 1 John 1, nine. turn over there. Oh, preacher, I thought the condition was trusting in Jesus. Absolutely. But there's something that God wants you to do for, for, for him to forgive you. In the life of every Christian, 1 John 1.9, a verse that you know well. He says, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that how that verse starts? How does it start? What's the word? I'm, not, I'm, I'm a wog boy, right? But I understand a little bit of English. Isn't the word if conditional? If. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, folks. Not only do we have to be sorry for our sin and have a deep desire not to want to do those things anymore, but we have to acknowledge it to God. Because speaking it tells God, you know what, I know what God God sees and says, I know that you're sorry. You're confessing it before me. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I tell you, church, I've met people that love their sin and are not willing to to confess it and give it up. And if that's the case, if you're here tonight and say, you know, I love my sin, well, I dare to say, church, you know, probably uh, examine your salvation. A Christian should have a problem with sin. But the pardon is immediate and wonderful. We've confessed and we have a desire to go on and be clean for the Lord. And the last thing I want to share with you, one more. How are we doing for time, brother EJ? We're good to go? Just one more? I'll give you one more. Sometimes, church, the forgiveness is immediate and wonderful, and complete, and we're washed, but be willing to cop the consequences anyway. God is holy and just. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has got value. It's not a cheap salvation what we have. And if we do something and God forgives us, He forgives us based on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ worth, was worth a lot to his father. David learned this from Nathan. Though David was forgiven of his sin. There would still be consequences of his sin and Nathan listed them out. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. All of which came to pass exactly as God had said. And can I encourage you, church? He will always be as God has said. Every time. You know, the baby passed away, the baby died. You know what, church? Sometimes the innocent pay the price. We have to be careful of the choices we make. David's daughter, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother, Amnon. One son, that same son, Amnon, was killed by the other one, Absalom. Absalom led a conspiracy to take over his father's kingdom later pursues David and tries to kill, kill his dad. He goes and, and lays with his father's concubines before all Israel. And Absalom finally, too much to David's um, uh, mourning, uh, he, uh, Absalom is killed by Joab, the man who uh, David trusted. Some pretty heavy consequences for something that he was completely forgiven of. But the church... Let's be sober today. The the truth is often the same today as well. You know, in, in our world today, an alcoholic may quit drinking and be completely forgiven but still suffer the physical consequences of alcoholism. You know, a parent may may go on and, and, and obey the gospel and be gloriously saved, but if they neglect to raise the children in the nurture and in admonition of the Lord, if they fail to lead their children in the path of righteousness or fail to make, church, those hard decisions uh, for Christ-likeness in their children, often, sometimes, the children just walk away. That's a consequence. Sadly, a marriage may be damaged beyond repair through unfaithfulness. And though the guilty party may repent and be forgiven, can I tell you that the trust is never usually restored completely the way it was. Sin has consequences. I had a man in my church, wonderful guy. He came to me and said, "Uh, Pastor God, call me to preach wow I said that, that's a, a high calling he says but i um, I, uh, I married an unsaved girl, knowing that it was wrong, and now she uh, she opposes every time that i uh every time that I want to come to church she she fights with me and she she doesn't really approve of, of my christianity and, and, and now God's called me to preach. what do you think? And I looked at him, and with a broken heart i said, well what do you think, the Bible says. He goes, I've disqualified myself, haven't I? I said, brother, I didn't have to tell you. You know that. One decision, completely forgiven. Sweet with the Lord, but the consequence remains. Be careful of the decisions we make, church. Sometimes we think because 1 John nine is in the Bible, we're sweet. And that's not the case. Often, the consequences remain. So what's what's the moral of the scriptures tonight? And and I'll finish up with this. God wants you to grow. God wants to take you from where you are and God might squeeze a little bit in your life. He wants to uh, cleanse you a little bit, put his finger on your life because not a desire to punish you because God is bad, because God wants you not to be here anymore. God wants you to come over here where he wants you in His will, in His service, in His glory, in His fulfilling life. He wants you to grow. Just accept it when God does something in your life. Have that right attitude to the Lord. Be quick to uh, change your mind about what's going on in your life and admit to the Lord that, hey, this is not the will of God for me. I I confess it to you, Lord. I seek your forgiveness. Lord, I'm ready to go here. And God says, all right, let's go together. and He'll bring you here. And when you get here, you might... Go a little bit in that and then, you know what, God might just have to squeeze that little bit more because now He wants you over there. And just keep following the Lord. Keep growing, church. Sometimes we're stagnating our Christianity and all we're doing, can I be honest with you, all we're doing is we're asking God for it. Grow with the Lord as He leads you. Uh, Accept the chastening of the Lord. Like it when someone comes to you and says, thou art the man. All right, let's talk. Let's talk because that person may want just to follow you over to where he is. Amen? Let's be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, tonight for the Word of God. Father, you know that I love these folks. Uh, Lord, uh, they're precious to me, and I have a a, a desire from my heart to see this church grow, uh, its people to grow and flourish and go forward for God and, and just be used of the Lord in a mighty way. Help them to be indeed a light for this area. Uh, Encourage them, use them for your glory and build them. I thank you, Lord, for them and I commit them to you in Jesus' precious, wonderful name I pray. Amen.